This is Toxic Workplace Antidote Edition, a series of bonus episodes where I talk to experts and thought leaders about toxic workplaces and how to survive them. In this episode, I talk with Alicia Wolf of Goldfinch Wellness. Alicia is a licensed clinical social worker and therapist who started her practice so she could help others find clarity and wisdom from within. Her words of wisdom will change the way you look at your toxic situation. You're going to love this interview. Alicia, thank you so much for being here today and talking about how to navigate a toxic workplace. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Of course. I'm happy to have you on the show. So let's start off with just a quick background and how you found yourself working with people in toxic workplaces. Yeah, sure. So I went to graduate school for social work and public health. And my original goal was I wanted to work at a nonprofit that serves children and families. And um, I was really passionate about adoption and child welfare. And so that's sort of the path that I started down. So I had this master's in social work and I could, if I wanted to, pursue my clinical hours to try to become a therapist. And I had always been really passionate about working with people and connecting with people. And this was all sort of the same at the same time that I found Buddhism. And like I had started going to a meditation sangha and I had a practice and I was going to classes. So it just felt like those two things were kind of happening for me at the same time. And they felt so related. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what I'm learning in this Buddhist philosophy is so helpful for our mental health and for working with our anxiety and our depression and all of the different feelings that can overwhelm us. So I sort of started down that road and I started a program in Buddhist psychology and I started a private practice on the side only on Saturdays. And over a period of like three years, I went down to like four days a week at my nine to five. And then I was two days a week at my private practice. I was working with clients just around like anxiety and depression and sort of general stuff. And like over and over and over again, it came back to their workplaces and how their workplaces made them feel about themselves and like the dynamics that were at play in their workplaces and how like deeply, deeply affected people were by those dynamics. And I suddenly was like, oh my gosh, this is a really big problem in like the mental health world (laughs) that like people are really taking on the challenges that they're experiencing at work and like internalizing them and they're really affecting them really deeply. And it was one of those things that kind of like organically emerged that like I wasn't, I didn't set out to look for people that had this challenge, but it was like across the board, I was working with people that were in really toxic workplaces. And it was really, I think more than anything else, it was really um, like exacerbating their anxiety. It's a societal problem, don't you think? Like, don't you think it's the structural societal problem in the way we talk to people and interact with people? And then the I think with ourselves, our our confidence and our understanding of ourselves. Yes, that well, that was just what I was going to say. Is like I, one thing that really surprised me about the like commonalities of people that were in these toxic workplaces was like the first thing was like people really believed that it was their fault that they were in that they were not being like successful at their job. Or, I mean, they probably were being successful at their job, but the fact that they couldn't, quote unquote, let it go or let this stuff roll off their back and 
you know, like the fact that it was getting to them, that they were in this environment, they really thought was their fault. And they were like, I'm here to like learn how to deal with this because there's something wrong with me because I can't deal with this. And then I would hear about the environment and I was like, well, yeah, I mean, that's horrible. But every single person thought it was their problem when they came in. And my question to you on this is people that are in these environments and they do think it's them, they they question their abilities. They question if they're smart enough. They question if they pick the wrong career. And it's not them. It's the structure that they're in. Like, how would you describe the employers that you hear about? What tactics are they using? And and I relate it to like a narcissistic abuse cycle or or even like domestic abuse in the way that it is a, a love bomb and then a fallout. It's the cycle of abuse only in a different way. And I think that's the most fucked up part of all of it is it's literally abuse. Yeah, because another thing that has sort of emerged is I... I'm thinking of one particular client, but he worked for a very worldwide, very prestigious nonprofit. And he was very, very high up there. And it was a horrible, horrible experience. And and then he came to me because he was so depressed and he was so, he lacked confidence. He didn't trust himself at all. He thought he was going to do terribly at his new job and everything because of what had happened to him at his last job and like what it had done to his sense of himself. And like the way that I worked with him is the same way that I work with people that are coming out of abusive relationships. It's like, we talk about like, what are the patterns and how did this make you feel? And what did you believe that this person told you that you no longer believe anymore? And like so much of it is about the fact that these people don't trust themselves or trust their version of reality, which is like such a hallmark of somebody that's been in an abusive relationship. It's like someone saying like, I think this is wrong. And their abuser saying, this isn't wrong. There's nothing wrong with me. You're the problem. And like, that's exactly the, the narrative that people are coming out of toxic workplaces with is they're thinking like, I'm so incompetent. I'm so terrible that I couldn't even do this job. Well, I couldn't even be successful. I couldn't even let this stuff go and rise above the challenges and be successful. Like I crumbled under the pressure essentially. And they like really feel weak and they feel like a failure, which is like the same. And then they lack confidence and a sense of self in going into the next job, which is a very similar like trajectory of people that are coming out of abusive relationships. It's crazy how some, I mean, it's the same thing. It's just a different scenario. What would you say somebody that doesn't realize they're in an abusive relationship, and when I say relationship, I mean working for a toxic employer, what would you say are some red flags or or common signs that pop up that are like, uh, yeah, this is abuse? Yeah, I I think that some of the characteristics that I see repeatedly are, I mean, it's like it can sort of have so many manifestations, right? There's a toxic workplace that looks like a high school, you know, where there's cliques and there's bullying and stuff like that. There's a toxic workplace that looks like almost like a family, like every like in what we call in therapy an enmeshed family, which is like everybody is all up in everybody else's personal life. And like, they know way too much about each other. There's no boundaries. There's no professional etiquette. It's just like your whole life you bring to work. And then people kind of end up using that kind of stuff against you because they know so much about your personal life. 
And then there's like, you know, the super corporate, really critical, like super impersonal. But like what I would say all of those have in common. I mean, one of them is that they have really poor boundaries that are not respected, you know, so it's like employees cannot put boundaries in place that would be respected by the people around them. That might be, I don't want to talk about my personal life. That might be, I don't want to work on Saturdays. That might be, I'm totally overloaded with work. You can't give me an additional project. You know, the boundaries can look really different, but I think when boundaries are not respected, that's a commonality that I see a lot or like just sort of the dismissive attitude of like, oh, well, you're not a team player if you're going to create a boundary with us, you know? I also think that there tends to be some sort of bad boss in the mix, you know, and again, bad bosses can look really different, but some leader, either it's somebody at the very top or somebody's direct supervisor is just very critical, sort of second guessing them, micromanaging them, sort of giving them constant feedback that they're not good enough or they're not good at the job. And so that person sort of loses a grip on whether or not they are actually good at this because they're only getting the feedback that it's not good enough. And I would say this sense of like when I talk to somebody who is the employee at the place and they don't have confidence in their version of reality. I mean, this is like a hallmark, you know, abusive relationship characteristic is when someone says like, I think this is what happened, but I don't really know. Like you'll have to ask the other person because like they're, they kind of, have gotten the feedback that their version of reality is not correct so many times from this abusive entity, person, or employer that they don't trust themselves anymore. So that's actually like the biggest thing is when I hear that coming from somebody, then that makes me feel like, oh, you have gotten really consistent feedback that your your perception of reality is incorrect. And like that for me is kind of the biggest red flag. This is something that I can relate to because in my last job, I was told I wasn't a leader in my review. I mean, and I never even wasn't even in a position that was asking to be a leader. And then I would question myself. I, you know, that drive in in your soul of like, I think I'm a leader. And then someone like that comes along and they're like, you're going to listen because you perceive them to be at a higher caliber than you just because of a title. But I questioned if I was even in the right career because I felt so stupid. But how do you help your clients see that they're being gaslighted? You know, because that seems like something hard because you would wonder, well, maybe this person really, you know, maybe she thinks she's a leader and she really isn't. How do you know as a therapist? Well, one thing, like one of the things that I do is I talk about how like, you believe that you're not a leader, for example, you see and your employer is seeing everything through that lens. And so every story that somebody tells me is like, this is how I fucked this up. This is how I failed this. This is how I blew this opportunity, whatever. And within those stories, I see them making smart decisions, being scrappy and inventive and creative and trying different things. And and they're seeing it through the failure lens. And sometimes like, and just an example of a way that I would work with it is I would say like, you know, another way of telling that story is that you took this initiative because you didn't really have a whole lot of idea of what the expectation was. So you really kind of grabbed the bull by the horns. You took a risk. You put yourself out there. It wasn't successful in the way that you hoped, but you were trying something new and you were being brave and bold and, you know, like whatever it might be. 
and sort of offering the opportunity of saying like, there is another way of telling this story. If you don't have the lens of I'm incompetent, I'm not good enough. And it's interesting because from a clinical perspective, if you're working with somebody that has like a history of trauma and relational challenges within their family and all that kind of stuff like this, I mean, that's the other piece of this is like workplace stuff can trigger all of these things in people's histories. And so it's sometimes somewhat of a quote unquote quick fix. If somebody's in like a pretty good place, they're pretty healthy, they have pretty healthy relationships. It's kind of a little bit like pulling the wool off from over their eyes and saying like, can you see how this, this story could be told differently with just like a slightly different lens? And then suddenly they, it's like a domino effect and then they can start seeing things from that lens too. And they go through the stories that they've been telling themselves and they're like, okay, but if I, if I used a different lens, I could actually see how I was being really bold or I was being brave or I was being a great leader in this way that they missed or whatever. I mean, the other thing is, is, you know, we take sort of what you said, we take these this feedback we get from people in power kind of like as law and it's like, Oh shit, this person's really smart. So I guess they're right. Like I, I'm not this thing or I am this thing. And like reminding them that like these people are people too with their own insecurities and their own agendas and their own crap that they're carrying around with them. That's informing what they see. And so like, if we can just, like put that allow that to be there just put it to the side it's somebody's opinion rather than the objective reality of the situation this person has this opinion because they have all of their own stuff like what feels true for you about your leadership and like in your example like I would ask you like you said you feel in your soul like you're a leader like I believe that I trust that like tell me why that's true for you and then you can tell me well, here's all the ways I'm a leader in my family and in my community. And here's what I believe a good leader is and all of those things. And like, we can tap into the parts of ourselves that know that this person was wrong, but that, that part of ourselves just got kind of muted through the process. Yeah. Gosh, I love that. I mean, it, you're so spot on. I know this is going to resonate with all of my listeners because the part you said that I really, that really strikes me because we're in this new frontier of mental health and awareness that everybody is starting to understand like lineage and family patterns that carry on, you know, generation to generation. And then that plays into the workplace. I mean, that doesn't stay in, inside somebody's house. If there's a corrupt boss at the top, that boss probably had a corrupt home life. Like you say, they have their own issues. They have their own insecurities. We're human beings. Like we're, we're just people living life. And this is, and, and then we try to structure it into this workplace. It is interesting that you say that patterns and behaviors that you've experienced, it's going to show up also in the workplace. So you you have a new program. So go ahead. Tell me about your program. It's going to be like a one-on-one coaching program, and it's going to be a six-session program for people that are really kind of in the muck of their toxic work environment. We'll talk about the dynamics of the workplace, which pieces of the workplace feel the most difficult for you, and really figuring out like what are the messages that are happening within this workplace that you're internalizing 
And then we'll talk about like the problems or the people that are the most challenging for you and how you're currently showing up to those challenges. And is there a different way with a different lens that you could show up differently? But also in this process, we are constantly asking the question of, is this a healthy place for you to be? There are some workplaces where if people just sort of pivot their strategy or they show up differently or they stand up for themselves a little bit more, something like that, then something can really change and it can be more healthy for them. And then I also think there are environments where it's in in your best mental health interest to leave and to sort of just extract yourself from the environment. So that's kind of like the background assessment that's happening all the time. But we're talking about how do you work with this really problematic person? Specifically, like I I pay a lot of attention to, I mean, every single person that's come to me with a problem that has had a bad boss. That's always a part of it. And so it's like, how do you work with this boss? How do you work with this boss that's super narcissistic, that's super anxious, that's super, you know, whatever their thing is. And I also talk about how do you get back in touch with your sense of yourself and what you know to be true about yourself versus the feedback that you're getting from your job and really understanding that there is a way to differentiate and like circle back and come back to yourself. And I actually think like mindfulness and meditation is a really great tool for that, but constantly remembering and reminding yourself like, like the mantra that I love using is like, okay, now come home to yourself. You co- you go out into the world, you interact with people, they say what they'll say about you and they and their opinions about your work and all of these things. And then at the end of the day, you come home to yourself and you know what is true about yourself. And, you, you know, we work, it's a sort of an impossible task, but the goal is to hold on to the things that we know are true about ourselves and to release the things that we know are not true about ourselves that are just really a function of that person and where that person is in their life with all their stuff. I love that concept. And I think that really is drilling down to the heart of the matter in any, whether it's a abusive relationship or a work abusive relationship, is knowing who you are and being confident in that person. And so my question to you then with your clients is how long do you, does it take usually for people to finally get the courage to leave? Like, what have you seen? They get right out? Is it a year? Are they still there? I mean, it's it so depends on where they are with the decision when they come to me. And I mean, it's like this is the same for a relationship or for, you know, a workplace. It's like sometimes people come to me and they say, like, I think I want to leave, but I'm scared. So like that person is really, really close. They just need some tools to like figure out how to make it happen. And what are they usually scared of? Like, what do they tell you? Like, I'm scared because what? Well, it's really interesting. I mean, there sometimes it, it really depends on kind of the type of abuse, but like, or the type of toxicity in the workplace. I mean, some people are like, they could never, ever continue on without me. Like the company will collapse if I leave because that's, again, it's like such a, it's just such an abusive relationship tactic. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you treat someone terribly and then the minute they threaten to leave, you're like, I would die if you leave. Yes. You, if you left, you're my whole life. You're my everything, you oh know? Gosh, it's it's like the love bombing that yes. you were talking about. Yes. And so it's like... So they think like, oh my gosh, like this whole company is on my shoulders. Like if I left, everything would fall apart. I mean, that's one piece. 
or like, again, like a lot of people think that they are the problem. And so they think, well, I'm, I'm not going to be able to get another job when I leave here because I'm not good at my job. I'm not good at this career. Like they have no sense of confidence. And so they're like, I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to be successful anywhere. Like if I don't, you know, this is, this is my only chance to be successful. I have to make it work here. And another thing that's really interesting is every single person that I've worked with has said, I don't think it's going to be better anywhere else, which is like so interesting. Cause they're like, you know, I mean, every, every workplace has its challenges because again, they think that they are the problem and they think if I go somewhere else, I'm bringing myself with me and I'm going to bring all my problems and all the things I'm not good at and all the ways that I can't measure up and I'm going to have the same experience somewhere else. And it's and almost like they're thankful, like, but this place gives me a chance. This place is giving me a job. Yeah. Like, I'm so lucky that they are letting yeah. me work yeah. here because I'm that bad at my job. Well, not only that, but like, it's interesting when people work at like what I call quote unquote sexy companies, mm-hmm. you know, like companies with big names or like, you know, brands that are like cool to work yeah. for. There's a real sense of you're lucky to work here. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Okay, you don't you don't want to work here. There's ten people lined up behind you that want your job, and they're probably you know going to be better at it. And there's this sense of like you are so lucky to be here, and like what kind of idiot would consider you know walking away from this opportunity? So I mean, I think there's lots of different w- reasons that people are scared. But you're right. I mean, there's not. I'm going to work with somebody. I'm working with somebody right now, and she has been a, in a really toxic workplace for three years, and I sort of keep pointing these things out to her and keep pointing out the ways that she's not getting what she was promised. Okay, you're crying at the end of the day today. I want to remind you that you were crying at the end of the day last week and also the week before that. And But she, you're so right. A lot of it is like, well, things were better today. I had an okay day today. So maybe that means that things are better. But actually what I have people do is I have them keep a journal just a really quick one sentence, how was your day today? And sometimes they, you know, when they say, I had a pretty good day today. And I'm like, okay, so take a look at your journal. Like how many good days have you had this month? In some ways, it's kind of like taking the opinion out of it as, you know, and sort of like, okay, look at the data, look at the data that you created. (laughs) Right, right. Right. And it probably and it, you know, kind of slaps you across the face like, oh, shoot, four out of 30 is a F minus. I mean, that's not that's not right. And to suffer through that many days just for a few decent days is not good. And then it's always case by case. But it really comes down to how much is this person willing to put up with and for how long? I mean, it could go on for their whole career or some people. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm always interested in the generational difference, uh, just the boomers, Mm. the Gen Z and the Gen X and millennials and the way we all deal with things, because we're at a very interesting kind of crossroads right now where we're working with baby boomers who were brought up in a different time, a different generation. They didn't have technology. It was a very keep your nose to the grind. You're lucky to have a job. So then millennials come in and it's like we're privileged and 
we take things for granted and blah, blah, blah. But really, I think we're just asking for boundaries and space and to have some Mm -hmm. sort of life back at home. I'm interested in your take on the work-life balance because I think that's probably one of the biggest issues is expecting people to work ungodly hours. And I would speculate it's a Mm -hmm. baby boomer Mm -hmm. mentality of... 50, 45 plus hours a week at work, and that burns people out. And so what's your take or what do you see when people are talking about exhaustion and overworking? Like what kind of environments are they coming from? Well, specifically with the generational question, I think you're exactly right. We are at a really interesting moment in time because the way that millennials, boomers, Gen Z view work and workplaces is really different. But I will also say that like, I do think that the baby boomer generation grew up with a primarily a 40 hour work week. And I think that there is more of a sense of like, oh, you know, you're lucky to have a job, you don't need to be critical of your job and all that kind of stuff. But I think I mean, this is really just kind of a theory on my part. But like, I think that when do you mind if I ask how old you are? No, 35. Okay, yeah, I'm 34. I'm 34. Okay, yeah, we're great <laughs> right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so like when we were growing up, there was such an emphasis put on what we were going to be when we grew up. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, there was this question of like, and, and there was this kind of um, saying that, that we heard a lot, which was like, you know, choose a job that makes you happy. Mm-hmm. Choose a job that, you know, fulfills you and stuff. I think that that's kind of a complicating factor in this because we have these really high expectations for jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, we're like, we do want them to be fulfilling and I think they should be. But I also think that there's there's an extent to which employers can almost exploit that. We I identify so closely with our jobs and our jobs are such an important part of who we are and what we value that like it could be exploited you know so I will say I work mostly with millennials and I think that's largely because I'm a millennial and people feel comfortable around people their age and stuff I, I will say that there are also a couple of people that I've worked around this particular issue on that were in their like mid 50s and a little bit older but I do think that there's a huge part of the self-doubt that comes in with the, it's not going to be better anywhere else. And also, I'm probably just spoiled for wanting something better because I'm a millennial and that's what everybody says about millennials. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes, which is almost like universal gaslighting to the whole generation of millennials. Like like baby boomers are like, you guys are being spoiled brats. And we're like, I'm not really asking for much. I was just wondering if I could work from home for a day. Like what? Right. (laughs) Right. Right. And like I said, like I do think that this expectation of being like sort of available and on the clock all the time, I just don't believe that that was something that was ever really expected in the baby boomer generation. I feel like in America, we're very much a like individual pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of, you know, mentality. And so like when you have a problem, the first thing that people tell you is it's your problem and you it's your job to fix it. And so, like, we have an entire generation of people that say that they're burnt out, that they're not getting paid enough, that they aren't feeling fulfilled, and everybody is turning around and saying it's your individual fault. Mm -hmm. It's like, 
that doesn't logistically make any sense, <laughs> but it's a perfect sort of like American way yes. of addressing a problem, which right. is saying it's your problem. It's not the system's problem. So you have to figure out how to deal with it. And, and that's what people are taking on. They are coming into my office saying, this is my problem. I need to fix it. And and so then we feel shameful that we dare ask for flexibility because, well, if the baby mm-hmm. boomers had to do it, then that's not fair. And that's just how the structure is. And so then you don't even want to speak up because now you're earmarked as somebody who doesn't want to work. Right. That's such a good point is like the fear of being perceived as like lazy or not a hard worker is so extreme. And like they, people think if I set a boundary, people are going to say, oh, you don't work hard. Oh, you're lazy. Oh, you're not committed to the job. Or, or the, you're hard or to work with. Or, or, you're, or you're being yeah. hard to work with. And change is always yeah, going right, to happen. Right. There's always generational difference. When we're close to retirement, there's going to be new ideas and things change so fast, so fast. And things are changing faster and faster. And I do have a lot of respect for baby boomers. I mean, that's our parents. I, don't get me wrong. We do. We have a lot of mm-hmm. respect for that. There's going to be a huge yeah. shift in the way that human resources, I think, is going to mold into something more an advocate for the people. And it's going to shift drastically. There's more transparency. There's more communication. What do you think the world we're heading to with communication? How do you think we could improve as a society to mitigate toxicity? That's a huge question. I mean, I mean I, that's a huge ask. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the, I'll just sort of say some of the things that came to mind, okay. come to mind, and I probably can, you know, also think about it more. But like, yeah. when I think about the work environments and the people that I've worked for that I have been the happiest with and felt the best about, the key thing that I felt from them was I felt that they trusted me and I think that they, that, that they believed in me. And you know, it sounds sort of so basic and so fundamental, but like, if somebody trusts They're not going to be micromanaging you. They're not going to be sort of like up your ass about everything you're doing and asking for proof that you're working. And it's like, look at this person's work. Are they doing good work? Are they producing what they need to produce? If they are, they're doing their job. And I really wonder if that will be kind of the future of effective, non-toxic workplaces is sort of like solely based on this person's, I don't want to say output, but the way that they impact the work. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if the impact is there, their value is there. You don't need to nickel and dime them about where they're working or the hours they're working or Mm -hmm. how many emails were sent. You value their impact in the workplace. You can see the value of the impact and that's what they'll be measured by. Yeah, that's And I guess that's sort of like what I hope for. Yes. And I I agree. You said a very, very well said. The impact that we have is the measurement for success versus this measuring data that really doesn't prove anything other than micromanagement. And, and nobody wants to be put into a box. No one wants. I mean, it's right. It, it, yes, we have to have boundaries and we have to have structure and processes in order to do a job. But to be able to be yourself you can be yourself and still get the job done. You don't have to mold and fold right. into what the corporation wants you to be. And what we're coming upon right now, I think it's going to continue to seep into the workplace to where it's like you're almost looked down upon if you don't allow people to be who they're supposed to be. 
Yeah, I hope. So. I mean, that would be that would be amazing. And I and I be, I think you're really right that like there is going to be a real shift. It, it is interesting though because like when people work at young cool companies and they have like young people at the very top like people at startups and stuff like that it's like I feel like it's almost a little bit more like high school like the the toxicity comes from like are you in the in group where you get the opportunities and all of that kind of stuff so I hope that everything will move towards the better, but I I hope it's not just switching one kind of toxicity for another. And the thing is, there's there's always going to be a bad apple. That's the world. Like, we're always going to have some sort of abuse. It's going to be out there somewhere. It's interesting that a more loose culture does create that in crowd. Actually, a couple of my episodes, Stacy's story, she was in a nonprofit, a huge, not one of the largest nonprofits, super corrupt. And it was just like the cool girls and whatever. And then I had another story. It was the same thing where it was like, they had a beer machine at work, like oh, yeah. a beer dispenser <laughs> yeah. and like, a you know, ping pong right. tables. And but yet it was like, the most toxic place she's ever been. So it will flip, but there's always going to be toxicity. And I think finding tools, tools to get you through until you find another job. There is no answer to a, a toxic workplace other than you leave or it's bought out and new leadership comes in. That's it. What do you think? Like, do, is there hope for people out there other than I mean- those two options? <laughs> Right, right. I think that there's kind of a spectrum of toxicity in a workplace. And so there are some places that have like toxic people. I mean, I think that that's a big one when, you know, when people are in an environment that's largely a positive environment, but like this one person that they have to work with, maybe it's their boss, maybe it's a coworker, is really toxic. That feels more workable to me. It's like really figuring out a strategy for, for like, Maybe it's even minimally interacting with them, but just working successfully with them in some capacity. If you have one person in your workplace that's toxic, you can find ways to get around that person. But And and probably if the place is a positive place, that person's going to find their way out, hopefully sooner than later. But if the owner or the board of directors are corrupted, you're fucked. Like you, you really can't yeah stay yeah i think there's a lot of truth to that because there's so much creating of culture that comes from the top so if the if the leadership does change i think there is the potential for the culture to change but i think if it's sort of like a company-wide challenge then i do think it's a hard thing to stay but i also think i mean this is what you said you were sort of talking about before is like people only leave when they're ready you know, and so there are lots of people that will come to me and talk about their workplaces. And I will say, this sounds really (laughs) problematic. Like, this is how I see it affecting you. This is what you're telling me. This is what I'm hearing. And people kind of make these changes when they're ready. And so sometimes it's not really, it's like not really effective or helpful for me to say, like, you need to leave. And they say, well, I'm not ready. And I say, no, you definitely need to leave, you know, because (laughs) as as we've talked about, it's like people just leave when they're ready. And so I really do see a lot of my role as like helping people see things as they are and be sort of clear eyed about the situation and to bolster their confidence and their sense of themselves 
and believing that they can be successful outside of that organization and, you know, supporting their timeline, whatever that looks like. And sometimes people come to it really quickly and sometimes it takes a little bit longer. I do tend to agree with you in really toxic workplaces. I do think a lot of times the answer really is to leave. And I think, you know, sometimes it can take a long time for people to see that that is the answer, is really the only answer. Right. And so helping them see the signs and giving them tools to use. And on your website, you talk about the Buddhist psychology. Is that a, a core basis in the tools that you're giving? How heavily do you incorporate mm-hmm. the Buddhist philosophy? Mm-hmm. How does that play into how you're helping your clients? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's kind of interesting because when I learn about like these tools and approaches and things like that, they kind of have their own special names and special philosophies behind them and everything. Like a lot of times it's really the lens that I'm talking about something with. In our own experience, we kind of lack a sense of objectivity and a sense of being able to look outside of our own experience. And so mindfulness and meditation can be really helpful for sort of calming down our mind and being able to get out of kind of the spin of really big, really intense emotions and being able to use those emotions really as information. And I'm in in no way in the business of trying to get people to calm down their emotions so they can ignore them. I actually want people to calm down their emotional experience and really their nervous system so that they can listen to themselves. And that is a big component is really being able to like mindfully be aware of what's happening and like the patterns in your thoughts, the patterns in what's happening in your workplace, the patterns in this relationship with your boss. Can we sort of tone down the really intense emotional overwhelm and actually like look at these objectively and say like, what's actually happening here? That's a lot of the way that I integrate the Buddhist piece. It's really about like being aware of ourselves, being aware of our emotional experience, being aware of the way that we affect others and the way others affect us. And so like identifying our own triggers, understanding what is so triggering to me about this particular person. Maybe it's triggering your sense of insecurity or unworthiness or your sense of not belonging or these things that can really like harken all the way back to our childhood. But actually, like, if we can be aware of that kind of stuff and be aware of that's what that's what's happening to us, it's not just we're having this crazy response because we're unreasonable and um, we don't know what we're doing, but actually because something really important is happening within us, when we can be aware of that, that's when we can start saying like, oh, I see that this is happening to me. And rather than going into autopilot and doing what I always do, with that awareness, I can start to create new patterns. In Buddhism, it's about just letting go and being present, detaching from your ego. And I -hmm. believe when you're able to look at these emotions, like you're saying, like to remove yourself from the situation, which takes focus and finding calmness within yourself to see these emotions happening, these emotions can give you answers. Hindsight is twenty twenty. So if you can be in the moment with some sort of perspective to say, okay, when that happened, I felt defensive. I felt 
defensive because I thought I was doing the right job, a good job, and they came at me this way. And you feel this discord being able to step back and see that discord and see that reaction and that emotion will give you answers to the people you're dealing with. And it could be so subtle. It could be not even like huge discord. It could just be like, gosh, every time that guy or girl, whatever comes around, I just feel a certain way. And so being able to be connected to your emotions in that way is going to help you see the situation and read people and and build confidence because if you perceive things from a bird's eye view um, you'll be able to manage the situation better and I think that comes to that internal um, like you were talking about come home to yourself and don't get wrapped up in the in the situation and in the emotions yeah, I think that it's oftentimes when people initially come to me, they're so escalated. They're so angry and they're so like in the hurricane of their emotional experience that being able to like take action feels kind of like inconceivable because they're just so caught up in the emotion of it. And you're exactly right. Like if we can sort of calm down the intensity of that experience just enough to like see what's happening for us and to use that as information, it really can provide the path forward. Yeah. And the path forward out the door from the toxic (laughs) workplace (laughs) is is truly when it happens and then, and you're no longer scared. And in my perspective on this and this whole, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, or I'm scared to leave this situation because I'm scared I'm going to jump into a worse situation. And my response to that is, it doesn't matter if you jump into a worse situation as long as you're moving to the next thing. So if you jump out of your current situation that's toxic, you need to remove yourself. If you get into another toxic workplace, you're actually going to be better prepared, better equipped for the job this time because you're going to see things in hindsight. Things are going to start clicking for you. You found the boldness and the courage to move. Now you have a new sense of courage and and boldness. And I can promise you, you're not going to waste time in this new job. I have a friend of mine, which was my first episode. We both left our toxic workplace. She went to an even worse toxic workplace, so bad it was Mm. uh, my first success story on the podcast. And she's now all already gone like she she sees it and she's gone and so anybody in that situation it's like just make that leap and you're gonna just have to make another leap quickly thereafter that that's worst case scenario and that actually doesn't sound that bad it's better than staying yes I think that's such a great point and you know I think that one of the like therapeutic techniques I apply sometimes is called catastrophizing it's like okay what is the worst case scenario what are like, they're like, Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. That's too scary. That's too overwhelming. Okay. Let's play it out. What if your worst case scenario happened? What would you do? And like often what people find is if they really play it out rather than just end their fear thought with like, Oh my God, that would be the end of the world. That would be so terrible. Right. Well, actually what would you do? They realize like, Oh, I, I could handle it if that happened. And it, it takes some of the power out of that worst case yeah. scenario. Wow, that's an amazing exercise to think like that, yeah. right? Like, okay, play it through. Go all the way to the end. And hey, guess what? You made it. 
and you're actually yeah, stronger exactly. now. And I think that's another thing that I've learned personally. And, and I always like to end my episodes with like, what was that gold nugget you carried out the door that has mm-hmm. taught you in the next workplace that if it wasn't for this situation, you wouldn't have known because there's always something. I think it's just like yeah. any adversity or hard situation, like it really will serve you once you remove yourself and you're in the next spot. It's going to, you're going to be stronger. You're going to have more wisdom. It's like a, a blessing and a curse kind of thing. Like you just have to move, you have mm-hmm. to keep moving with your clients and you help them through mm-hmm. these workplaces. How often do you see them jumping ship? Like once they come to you, is it pretty quickly? I think that when people come to me, they have sort of already identified, they are self-identifying as somebody who works at a toxic workplace. Mm-hmm. I don't have to convince them that they're, yeah, you know, working right. at a toxic workplace. And so they're already like pretty far down the road. And I would say that a lot of people, they just kind of need like someone to hold their hand as they take the leap because it feels scary. They feel like they're jumping into the unknown and they just sort of need some support. And I'm like more than happy to, you know, play that role. And sometimes I work with people through, I'm actually like working with somebody now where I've sort of worked with them through the resignation experience. And then they're applying for new jobs and they're talking about, interviews and we're talking about questions that they're going to ask in their interviews to ensure that, you know, how can they, you know, we can't ensure that we're walking into a healthy workplace, but what are the questions to ask to, you know, make sure that you're not like walking into the exact same situation. And so I would say that when people come to me, they tend to be pretty far down the decision tree line. Mm -hmm. um, And they're sort of ready, but they're, or they know what they need to do, but they're maybe not quite ready and they aren't sure exactly how to do it. I would say that it's relatively, relatively quick, but it's right. different person to person. Absolutely. And so you're that hand to hold and then they're through that process, finding the courage and the reasoning to do it. Do they continue to come to you afterwards? I'm interested in hearing about what's the failure rate of people coming like, that was the worst (laughs) decision. I can't believe I left. Have you ever had somebody who's left that toxic I have never. No. I have never had somebody that has regretted leaving. I will say that it's like the immediate feeling is different. Like some people immediately feel relief. Like the minute they resign, they like walk out of work that day and they feel like a million bucks. You know, they feel like a huge weight has been lifted off their shoulders. And it's just like, oh my gosh, the future is bright. I feel great. And some people, they've been really kind of like beaten down by this experience and they feel really scared and they feel worried about what's going to happen next. And they feel worried about how people at their workplace are going to think about them and, and stuff like that. And so I would just say to not put too much weight on your immediate reaction because your immediate reaction will vary greatly depending on where you're at in that particular moment. But I will say in the quote unquote long run, but I would say like within a month or so after leaving, I've never had anybody that has regretted it. And I've also never had anybody that's well, I mean, I know you you said you've had the experience of somebody that's walked into a worse situation, but I actually, I mean, I, I know I haven't worked with everybody, but I haven't had anybody that's walked into a worse mm-hmm. situation. I think it's not 
super likely. It just feels like it's super likely when you're right. in it. But I think that there are a lot of really healthy workplaces out there. And there are a lot of places that are better than the place that you're at. And, you know, I think it's hard for people to believe that when they're in it. But like, I really, really believe that to be true. And better is good. Even when people don't feel like they're in the absolute, they found the absolute perfect workplace. If they feel like it's better, they're glad that they made the change. And so I've only had people that have been happy with their choice to leave. And I would say that's an important point to make because if people are talking to you, they're using your services, you're guiding them, you're that helping hand through that process, you're going to help them make the right choice. You help point out those red flags, you point out, you know, maybe let's look at some other options. Right. One of the challenges of waiting until you are absolutely at the end of your rope with your current workplace is that you're at a high risk of taking anything that comes your way, because you just need to get out of there. And so that's actually something that I do tell people when they are really pretty burnt out. And they're like, but I think I could do it for a little while longer. I, you know, I say like, okay, well, now's the time to start looking for another job. Because then you can you can do this for a little while longer. Let's say you do this for six more months, and you have six months to find a job that feels like the right fit for you. Rather than saying, I can't go in one more day, whatever offer I get, I'm accepting. It's a much more powerful position to go in when you have like a little bit of gas left in the tank and you can, you know, wait for something that feels good for you. That's an excellent, excellent point. And sadly, a lot of the stories I hear wait till the last second to the point where they're like, I want to just go in and give them the middle finger and be like, I'm out of here. A lot of times it's because they sense that you want to leave and they're going to give you a raise or a bonus. Um, They might give you a new title. They might give you just a, a pat on the back. Even some people are like, oh, my gosh, they said I did a great job today and they smiled at me. I think right. I'm going to stay. Yeah, but look at everything else that's wrong. And and that is a positive thing. People are optimistic. People are trusting. Those are good qualities to have. And it can be exploited. It's hard to yeah. see if you've never experienced it or even if you have. It's still hard to see. A hundred percent. Yeah, 100%. And when you're sort of like so low, and you're so sort of starved for that positive feedback, those little pieces do feel like a lot, when objectively, they're just not anywhere near what you need or what you deserve. Yes, they're crumbs. They're like little crumbs to keep you strewn along. That has an effect on you for a while, but you have to be aware of it. Yeah. And I think that that's a lot of like, other people that I have worked with in therapy have come to me because they're starting out a new job and they are still sort of carrying the old messages and lessons and assumptions of how things work from their old job. And it's like holding them back from being able to fully be present and be successful at their new place. That's really like its own, its own set of, of work is unlearning the stuff that you internalized while you were there. Unpacking all of those things that 
you were carrying and accumulating about yourself for years, years. It, we're not talking months. We're talking years of bra your brain to think that you're a certain way and then undoing that and having confidence in yourself. It's hard work, but it is rewarding in the end. So on your website, yeah. you have your different services that you offer. So you have your therapy services in person, but then you also do online. And I'll put a link to your website. It's goldfinchwellness.com. Mm -hmm. You do in-person. And where are you located? So I am located in Baltimore, Maryland. So for therapy, I actually can only work with people in Maryland, even if it's over telehealth, because of my licensure. Okay. And so um, it's like my licensure is specific to the state of Maryland. But I also do coaching. And I do like anything that's sort of workplace related, it tends to go in the coaching category and I can work with coaching clients all over the world. You're a trained psychologist in Maryland. So if you're in Maryland, you can hook up with Alicia through telehealth. Then you also offer executive coaching and then you have coaching for people in a toxic workplace. Is that one-on-one -on -one sessions? Is that group therapy? What is your service like? Yeah. So it's a six-session package. And I meet with people every other week. And then they have like unlimited email support in between those sessions. The focus of the work is really like understanding what messages people have internalized, understanding the dynamics that are at play. You know, I was really right on the fence between if I wanted to exclusively offer this for people that had left their workplace and really needed to like process the experience, or if I wanted to work with people that were in the process of deciding if they wanted to leave. I really want to serve both populations. And so I think that it's an appropriate service wherever you are on the decision-making process. But really the focus is understanding what effect the workplace has had on you and how to come home to yourself and how to reconnect with what you know is true about yourself and to begin the process of unlearning what has been internalized through the workplace that you've been in. That's an amazing service. It's something you really don't hear about. I mean, you have therapy sessions, but to truly understand this transition and coming home to yourself, it's a powerful thing to find out who you are and continue to move through life, especially in your career or your job, because that's where we spend most of our time. This sort of work is needed. How long are your sessions? And is it weekly? Is it monthly? Mm -hmm. Is it really... A base, a, you know, case by case basis. I mean, the reason that I decided to make it a six session package is because I've had a couple of people come to me for coaching or therapy around this process, and we can figure it out in about six sessions. And I was sort of noticing this trend is if we focus only on this challenge, I mean, it depends on the person's history and if they have a really severe trauma history or something like that, you know, obviously there's lots more to unpack there that may or may not be the place for that. But in general, like I said, like if people are in a pretty healthy place before they go into the workplace, it really doesn't take like a ton, ton of work to at least begin the process of healing. It really just takes a lens shift and, a, and an understanding of the internal, the things that you've internalized along the way. And so Logistically, it can look different, but um, the way that I do coaching in general is I typically do one session every two weeks. The sessions are 50 minutes long, 
and I do email support in between. And so this is actually a, a really important component when people are in a toxic workplace because, as you know, like these things can come up and a big meeting is coming up or you got an email from your boss that really derails you and it's sort of this baseline support or like a lifeline to reach somebody to reach out to and say like, I'm super triggered by this interaction. I feel like I want to fire back, but here's what we talked about. Here's what I'm thinking. What do you think about that? And it gives me the opportunity to just chime in. And most of the time I'm really supporting and giving people the feedback that their instinct is usually right on. And that's so much of the work is really getting back in touch with your instinct and your sense of what feels right for you. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a six session package. And if it's every other week, then we would be together for a total of 12 weeks. And then there would be email support, you know, indefinitely along the way. And even after the six week mm-hmm. sessions, you know, you offer this, these coaching sessions, whether they're getting into a job searching or um, interviewing and then the new, the process of finding themselves within a new job. So it's really six sessions to shift your lens on your situation and your environment in a way that's going to allow you to find the ability to move on or get out of the situation. Probably most people listening to this, if they're in a toxic workplace right now, to go to your website, goldfinchwellness.com, and you can read about Alicia the services she provides. There's also a meditation you have. What does that entail? If you want to sign up for my mailing list, you get a link to a free meditation for overwhelming emotions. And that's actually like a really, really a cornerstone of that work that we were talking about, about how do you sort of calm down that overwhelming emotion and really get in touch with what that emotion is telling you. And so I I sort of walk you through, you get the link to an audio recording. It's about a little less than 10 minutes long. And I sort of walk you through the process of when you're really escalated, when you're really, really angry or really overwhelmed or anxious or whatever the feeling is, I sort of walk you through the process of getting in touch with your body, grounding yourself, feeling the emotion that's happening, and also getting in touch with yourself, uh, with your sense of compassion for yourself. You know, often we, we get quite critical of ourselves for having whatever emotion we're having. And I think such a key part of being able to calm our emotions and, and feel a sense of connection with ourselves when we are feeling very emotional is also to really have compassion for the fact that we are in pain and we're really struggling and we can kind of soothe ourselves in that way. So that's something that's available on my website if people want to sign up for my mailing list. I don't, I promise I don't send crappy emails. I hate <laughs> crappy emails. <laughs> so I like to send emails when I have a blog or a service that's coming up or when I want to talk about something that's happening in the world that I think could be you know, helpful for people to know about. Um, but I'm very discriminant about it. I don't usually send more than one email a month. And so, um, and you put thought into If people want to stay. Right. You put thought and time into it, which you can see by your website, just your writing, the words you use. I love your logo, by the way. It's really, it's really pretty. It's a a beautiful website. And you're doing an amazing thing for people. Check out Goldfinch Wellness. Alicia Wolf, she is an amazing person. She's doing great things, helping us out of these toxic workplaces. 
Thank you so much, Alicia, for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. And you have been so responsive and on top of it. It's been such a delight. And I look forward to our continued conversation. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Do you have a story you'd like to share on our show? Go to ToxicWorkplacePodcast.com and click on Be a Guest. Fill out the submission information and we'll be in contact. Your story will be told anonymously. All names are changed to protect the privacy of the company and its employees. We look forward to hearing from you. And hey, by the way, if you like this podcast, please be sure to leave a positive review. It's much appreciated.